wait till you hear this. Whoa, ah, uh, I'm sorry, I, I didn't, I had no idea. I'm wait, so wait, he's in the bathroom. Oh, well, I just wanted to talk to him for a minute, but I'll come back. You don't have to leave. You sure? Yes. Okay. I'm Donna. Donna. Oh, you're the one that likes that commercial. <laughs> he told you that. No, he, he didn't actually tell me that. Uh, we were talking about that commercial. In fact, I think I brought it up because I liked that commercial. No, he, he would never actually tell me anything like that. He never discusses anything. He's, he's like a clam. You're, you're not going to mention this to him. Because... So you go around telling your friends I'm not hip because I like that commercial. What? What did, what did you say? say what? Nothing. I didn't... You, you told him how I liked the commercial. Well, so what if I said that? Well, so? You didn't have to tell your friends. No, I had to tell my friends. My friends didn't have to tell you. Why did you have to get me in trouble? I don't like you talking about me with your friends behind my back. Boy, oh boy. I said I couldn't believe you liked that commercial. So what? I asked some friends of mine this week, and all of them liked the commercial. Boy, I bet you got a regular Algonquin round table there. <laughs> hey. Oh, uh, Kramer, uh, this is Donna. Oh. Duckers. Hell yeah. All right, we should be going. Come on. What? Where are we Come going? On. Don't bother. Don't bother. I'm leaving. Donna, really, you're making too much of this. 100% cotton duckers. If they're not duckers, they're just pants. <laughs> Welcome to Talking Sci-Fi, the podcast where we discuss everything we know about the show about nothing. I am Dando. I am Guy. Dando, how are you travelling, sir? You're doing all right? I'm feeling very fine here on this Monday afternoon. Uh, this week we're here to review episode 207. It's episode 4 of season 2. It's the phone message. I'm going to say this was a very, another very simple episode that built to, I think, one of my favourite endings so far in the series. I think that just sort of, it just progressed and progressed. It felt a bit slow, but that last sort of act I really enjoyed with George, Jerry at, uh, at the apartment. I enjoyed this one very much as well. I think it had uh, one of my favourite sort of comedy tropes or situations, which is... Smart people acting stupidly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because we've, I know, I'm not saying that we're smart, but we've all been in that situation where we think we've got the situation handled and then we just don't. Absolutely. Or you overthink your plot to resolve a situation that is probably not that bad in the first place. We're literally discussing at work today. There's a young, a young chap who works in our office. I won't name him, but he's only 21. He's going on his first proper date and he is somewhat overthinking it. <laughs> oh, for real? Oh. <laughs> He's uh, just, he doesn't know what, where to take her or what to say or what to do. It's like, mate, it's just a date. Just chill. It's very hard to, for, to forget that dates are meant to be fun, that, you are, that you're heading out with someone that you are attracted to but probably also like as a person. And the fact that they accepted your offer to go out on a date in the first place probably means they may feel warmly towards you or even just curious. They're open to the idea of your presence. Yes, exactly. So you don't have to work. I think you have to put in some effort, of course. I mean, don't show up in your trackies. And, yeah. Well, it depends on the date. But, well, um, hey, Nicola still married me, so. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I th I'm always astonished by that. I mean, now, it, uh, and oh, look, I'm as guilty of it as the next person. Now, you know, you, you tend to sort of, it's easy to catastrophize and think about worst case scenarios when it's like, 
you go and have for a drink. Just, you know, tell some dumb stories about yourself and ask questions about the other person. It's really not that difficult. No, it's not at all. So, uh, fingers crossed it all pays off for this child. I say this child. To me, he seems like a child because he's 21 and I'm 32. But still, I hope it all works out for him. Fingers crossed. It's a Tuesday night, so we're all highly anticipated for Wednesday morning when we find out the juicy details of the date. A a Tuesday night date. See, that's interesting enough by itself. Mm. All right. You're you're saying they're a child at 21. At my point of view, they're positively an embryo. (laughs) But getting back to the phone message, uh, oh, yes. yeah. So you, you're saying it had one of the the classic tropes of comedy, and you're right with dumb people, uh, smart people acting dumb. Absolutely, yeah. And it just sort of builds and builds and builds. It's like a uh, yes, like that that snowflake that falls at the top of the mountain and just gradually rolls down, becomes a snowball, becomes a becomes a snow boulder, becomes an avalanche eventually. But it, surprisingly, and I'm not, I, I don't think this is a spoiler at all. It's something of a happy ending it's it's certainly not a tragic ending at the end of the phone that's message. right yeah and I, th- I think i'm gonna throw it out there i didn't see that ending coming i'd forgotten about it yeah same yeah the, but i think the more we got into it thrills oh wait a minute yeah this yeah this doesn't end as badly as i thought it was because i mean i'm i'm one of those people and i think you may be the same dano people who embarrass themselves on on television shows i mean fictional characters even though you know they're sort of uh doing stuff to embarrass themselves i'm always sort of got my hands over my ears or watching it through sort of closed fingers like oh i can't watch this oh it's so true i can see all matter of grotesque stuff but anytime anyone's embarrassing embarrassing themselves in a terrible way i'm like oh i can't watch oh it's just the worst it's like nails down a blackboard for me there was actually a couple of moments in this episode where i just wrote my notes this is brutal brutal i can't watch it (laughs) (laughs) well what were some of the most brutal moments for you i mean what have you oh man when she invites him up for coffee and he says i can't i don't want to drink coffee this late i was like oh no oh no george (laughs) i think i did write i think i wrote oh george myself with an exclamation mark and then wait he realizes Take it easy. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh, man, but we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. But, yeah, that there was some particularly brutal George moments in this episode. But, yeah, so that, that ending I didn't see coming. But I will say that the uh, the template of this episode felt very similar to the stakeout where you had George and Jerry hanging out. It was just the roles were reversed. Mm. So, in the stakeout, it was Jerry waiting for the girl to come out of her office so he could meet up with her. And George was just there sort of being a wingman. That's where we got the Art Vandalay uh, scenario, uh, but in this yes. one it was the other way around. So it was just yeah, it just sort of felt like a very similar setup. But you can forgive them for sort of copying that that sort of setup because they had to write this episode in two days, Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld. Because I'm not sure whether you read about the uh, the episode was originally going to be the bet. I did hear about this, but you explain it a bit more for our for our listening friends out there. So basically, Larry Charles originally wrote a script called the bet, which consisted of. Julia Lewis Dreyfus, uh, so Elaine, betting with uh, Jerry that how easy she could buy or purchase a handgun, and it was just a very, very touchy subject. There was sort of jokes brought up about the assassination of previous presidents and whatnot, and the cast were just not having it at all. And Larry Charles has come out and said that the episode, what he thought was, it would have been interesting, just wasn't all that funny. And uh, she's even gone on the record, uh, Julian, saying that she turned to George, I uh, told turned to uh, Jason Alexander during the uh, table read, and just said. I ain't doing this. Look, it's just not going to happen. And probably thankfully they didn't because a show that's this early in its run, you just feel like it would have pissed off so many people to the point where, particularly since this episode got such low ratings, I'm not sure whether Seinfeld was really being sort of enjoyed by many people at that point in time. I mean, it still had 13 million viewers, but back then that was still considered low. 
um, in the mm-hmm. grand scheme of things. So, if they had have aired that episode, got low ratings and pissed off people at the same time, you have to think that Seinfeld may have been on the chopping block. Yeah, that's a distinct possibility. And I mean, uh, I guess, uh, we are, what, four episodes into the second season here after a, like a, what, a five or six episode first season. So, I mean, the show is still not only finding its voice uh, internally, but it's also showing that voice to the to the, uh, to the viewers out there. They're coming up to terms or coming up to speed with uh, the Seinfeld uh, sense of comedy. So, I don't know, maybe something that dark, like the original episode, The Bet, could have been done a little later in the run and maybe audiences would, would be like, oh, well, this is the kind of thing they do. They're not afraid to get a bit sort of... Uh, a little bit grim or a little bit black in the sake for the sake of a joke but uh, yeah this early on perhaps it wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have played as well but if members of the cast weren't for it then what are you going to do you you <laughs> you write a new episode in 2 days that's what you do yeah and i think they i mean cuz all things considered i think they wrote a very very solid script in considering it was only 2 days oh yeah absolutely i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in here that i really really enjoy um, I think it's a re- it's a really good George episode. As, I mean, well, it's primarily sort of a George episode. It's more George than Jerry, I think, or at least it's sort of fifty fifty. But a lot of what uh, what George does in here, a lot of what Jason Alexander does, I like confident George. And there are times when George is confident for the wrong reasons, or his conf- confidence is unwarranted. But I mean, this whole um, when he goes on the date and he's sort of telling that whole story about having multiple pairs of underwear, and you know. His plan is to buy like 365 pairs of, of jocks or something. I'm like, it's it's not exactly A-grade material, but... It's dad material. <laughs> it is, you know, and it's, it's kind of taken the piss out of himself a little bit. But at the same time, he's quite charming. You would go on a date with George based on that or, well, maybe not based on that, but uh, I think you would a, a woman would come away from going... He was nice, funny. Didn't take himself too seriously, and all that kind of stuff. Of course, then he blows it. But, um, but, but, but the problem is, because he was getting a few laughs, he got very comfortable, and he didn't think before he spoke. And that's when true. she invited him up. He was just like, "Oh no, yeah. I can't drink coffee this late." <laughs> yeah, it's the thing about dates. I mean, as we were saying, you know, it's it's a casual thing, and you've got to relax and have fun. But at the same time, yes, be aware, pick up on the signals that you're uh, <laughs> that the other person is putting out. That is a good one, still. Yeah. One of my favorites. So, what was your favourite moment from the episode, Mr. Davis? Um, <clears throat> look, my, my notes here may be a bit shoddy, and I should probably go back and um, uh, get the actual correct bit about this. But I think uh, I think Jerry mentions, or or George mentions, the Algonquin Round Table about Donna's friends when they when she says that. That's all right. Of it. Yeah, how, how, they all like the Dockers commercials. Yeah, it sounds like a real Algonquin Round Table. Uh, the Algonquin Hotel in New York City um, was, I think, in the twenties and thirties home to a sort of selection of literary types, playwrights, critics, writers, various wits. And a lot of them would sort of meet at this uh, this round table, get together, drink a lot, sort of play word games and just, you know, I mean, when I say word games, I don't mean boggle or scrabble. I mean, they'd, they'd try to, <laughs> you know, sort of outwit one another and just come up with really cool phrases and humorous bits and pieces. Uh, it's people like... Not exactly household names, but people like Dorothy Parker, Robert Benchley, the real sort of the the luminaries of the New York literary scene. It sounds like your dream club. Oh, fuck, man. If I could... <laughs> I would go there, and, and sorry to throw like a four-finger discount uh, reference into the Talking Seinfeld thing, but, you know, these guys would be like throwing excellent uh, literary witticisms back and forth, and I'd be like, Jeremy's 
iron. <laughs> That's what I'd be like. <laughs> I'd be like, hey, you guys read the Da Vinci Code? Or something along those lines. Do you like stuff? <laughs> I'd, I'd, be very, I'd be so Ralph. I would be completely Ralph Wiggum at the Algonquin Roundtable. But I've, I've, I don't know, for some reason I always like it when you know someone mentions it in kind of a, a disparaging way or an aspirational way like, yeah, that's a, I think I've used it once or twice and I always get kind of crickets because it's not really an Australian reference at all and it's a very early 20th century reference. So people are cool be like, what the fuck are you talking about? But um, I, I always like a good Algonquin Roundtable reference and it's also a nice burn. Jerry's can be quite cruel, I think, we, I think we've seen. And for, her, for him to diss her, her friends... And they're somewhat sort of what he views as their basic taste with like, yeah, it sounds like a real Algonquin round table you got there. He's a horrible boyfriend. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised she did. I mean, maybe she didn't get the reference, but I'm surprised she didn't just like walk out on the spot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I really enjoy when George just goes so headstrong into um into a scheme and he gets he gets so deep to the point where he panics and just wants to get out, but he can't get out. So I love when he just like when when she arrives, he goes, "That's it, pull the pin, cancel, scratch it, we're going, we're leaving." <laughs> and he's worked so hard on everything, or he's just been yeah. You know, the plan has become so intricate with so many moving parts and details. And that no, no, what, not doing it. <laughs> yeah, pull the pin, we are out. Go, go, go. <laughs> I always enjoy that. Yes, yeah, so that was my favorite. Could you spell that, please? No. Next question. But uh, I think it's time now, Mr. Davis, we should get to some trivia. I will kick off this week's proceedings. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure these are easy ones, and you've, <laughs> you've already answered a couple of them, but I'll, I'll just throw them oh, out there God. anyway. How many pairs of underwear does George currently own? Now, oh, good. I'm either going to say a single digit or a double digit. Is it like 12? <laughs> it's 40. 40? Okay. What's what my notes say? And I'm going with it. <laughs> no, no, I think you might, I think you might be right. Because, yeah, initially I thought it was like, does he own like seven? It's like, actually, no, that's like a reasonable amount to own. Yeah. I'm pretty sure if you have less than seven pairs of underwear, you're, you're being ridiculous because it means you have to do the washing <laughs> twice a week. <laughs> um, and then I thought, is it something like 24? No, 40. That sounds about right. But yeah, one wants to get up to the whole 365 <laughs> uh, pairs of underwear plan, which I think is great. What is the derogatory term that uh, galvanizes both George and Jerry into action? It's a four-letter word starting with W. Ooh, you're a wuss. You're a wuss. Now, there's something about that word. It's not, you know, it's not very, it's not like coarse language or anything. And it's a word that even kids can say. But well, when you yeah. get called a wuss, it's like one step above being called like a chicken. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you're a chicken. It's like, no, yeah. no, it's like you're a wuss. Like, oh, I'm a wuss, am I? It's like you immediately just get into like defensive mode. Well, I mean, I can only assume that it's kind of like the, the PG version of pussy. <laughs> stop, <laughs> stop being such a pussy. It's like, because I think I've heard the phrase wuss puss. Used once or okay. twice. You know, it's like when you say frickin' instead of fucking. Sorry, I'm being very sweary this episode. My apologies, guys. I was, I was speaking to the lovely Louise the other day, as is my want, because she's my girlfriend. But um, oh, she was saying, oh, Audrey, her 13-year-old daughter, wants to listen to Four Finger Discount. And I was thinking about an episode I did the we did the other day where I was talking about the porno comic, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I think some episodes might get a bit swearish. She goes, "Oh, she heard you swearing on one the other day," <laughs> and she had no. Oh, so she listens to the show. Oh I no, think she, she's listened to one episode. Okay. Um, 
Or she's listened to part of one episode, and I, and Lou and Lou said, "Oh, I think she wants to listen to a couple more." I'm like, "Well, that's cool. She better become a patron." Let's <laughs> 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 just make sure you keep calling her the lovely Louise and uh, ex-wife Libby. <laughs> we'll do. We'll do. Don't keep bringing up your exes, and you'll be fine. <laughs> uh, anyway, yes, but that was the question, and you got it yes. correct. I uh, I've got I've got a couple more for you. Alrighty, so. Jerry has never seen an episode of which TV show? Oh, oh god damn. I'm, I'm dreadful at this this week. And, now, the, um, I'll give you a clue. The main star of this went on to do a second show afterwards where she was much older and it was called Here's... Oh, he, he never saw I Love Lucy. I Love Lucy, correct. Because It's funny because I never, I've never seen an episode of I Love Lucy either. But my, one of my uncles like, loved Here's Lucy. I, like, he didn't like I love, but he loved his Lucy. So I used to like go to his. Like, I didn't go to his place to watch it, but whenever I was at his place, it would just always be on. His Lucy <laughs> is his Lucy the one that uh, the opening credits are like the the marionette of Lucille Ball. Correct. Yep. Yeah, I remember watching that a lot as a kid. Yeah, it's actually really funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think that was my sort of exposure to Lucille Ball. I mean, but I don't. I'm not sure I've ever seen a full episode of I Love Lucy either. I mean, I've seen bits and pieces. You know, there's a bit where she and her. Her pal, I think it's Viv or Val or someone. They're working on the chocolate conveyor belt, and yeah, you know, they yeah, that's the they mess one. up once, and yeah. they have to keep eating all the chocolate so the whole thing doesn't get messed up. And yeah, you know, there's a whole thing with Lucy, you got some splendid do do. Which you know, I don't think I've ever actually seen that episode, but I've seen enough people or comedians sort of using that line. And again, I think I might have actually used that line. I think I may have actually said that uh, to someone once. Like you got some splendid do do. People are going, what? I didn't know it was from that episode. I didn't know it was from I Love Lucy. I've used that quote all the time. I had no yeah, idea where it came from, though. Yeah. yeah it's like, <laughs> but I think I was doing it as like a teenager. It's like, why is an Australian <laughs> teenager in the 1980s? This little white know, boy. <laughs> yeah, a little white boy quoting Ricky Ricardo from, you know, an American sitcom in the 50s. Makes no sense at all. But, oh, uh, man. <laughs> all final, right. question, final question one. It's a very, very basic, simple one. What was the commercial for? And have you seen it yourself? I have, but it's for Dockers, and I have not seen it. Cotton Dockers. So you can go on YouTube and watch it, and I can understand why Jerry doesn't like it because it's just, it's a, all you see is the guy's pants, and you, like they're all sort of like just like a, a men's club, just sort of like in their fancy Cotton Dockers, just talking about men's stuff, but you don't actually see their faces. Oh, you see a couple of their faces towards the end, but it's just like Cotton Dockers. If you're not wearing them, then you're just wearing pants or something like that. And it's a pretty shit commercial, but it's one of those commercials where it will get stuck in your head and that's what they want. Well, uh, it's one of those commercials where you're probably talking about it and, yeah, I mean, you're talking yeah. about it because of how lame it is as mm. opposed to, hmm, I'm impressed by your sales strategy and I will go out and buy, uh, I don't know, Cotty's Cordial or whatever the fuck. I was watching some TV last night. I don't, I don't watch a lot of commercial TV anymore. I mean, I find myself no, either neither. watching- watching streaming stuff or a bit of pay TV or stuff on YouTube more, more often than not. But I think I think uh, Lou and I were watching the news or, or something and there was some ad for cars and it wasn't really focusing on the car at all. I mean, and it wasn't sort of like the aspirational lifestyle if you drive this particular car. It was just like a, a dumbass comedy situation and then the tagline for the car. It's like, I don't see how these two are connected. Honestly, I think advertising is just really sort of, <laughs> I don't know. They're, they're taking a, it to, they've taken it to strange new places, that's for sure. They have indeed. It's very, it's very much a plum in a lady's hat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All righty. Well, let's get into our review, shall we, of the phone message. What do you reckon? I reckon, I, I 
<laughs> I didn't have that many uh, trivia questions this time around. So, oh, let's, um, not, let's not lie. You forgot. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it, it's true. I could have come up with another one, but it's a really simple one. I mean, you would, you would get it. I, I would like to get it. I haven't got one this, this week. I know I got worse, didn't I? What, what's the next one? You didn't. Well, what, what's, the, uh, what's the code word? What's the, the, pri- what's the first code oh, word? That, uh, which, is the, which one they go with or which one? Which was, the first, which was their first choice? George suggests tippy-toe. Yes, there you go. And then they go with lemon tree. Is it lemon tree? It was. Now, if I was if I was more on the ball, I would ask you which of the two songs they chose because apparently there's two artists. Yeah. But I've already yeah. forgotten them both. And I, 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 I fucked that up. <laughs> All right. Oh, not have got that one. Let's just get, let's just give you two points this round and um, and move on. Good news, everyone. Everyone's favorite podcast from the year three thousand has returned. Yes, it is Tales of Futurama. Each week we'll be going back and revisiting every episode of the series, discussing the themes, gags, and all the easter eggs you may not have seen the first time around. It's Tales of Futurama, available now exclusively at patreon.com slash discount. If you're a fan of everything we do here at Talking Seinfeld and want to show some support, you can do so by joining the Talking Seinfeld family on Patreon, where for as little as $1 per month, you can get access to a whole range of exclusive content, including bonus podcasts, access to our exclusive Facebook community, prize draws, Zoom calls with Guy and myself, as well as early access to all the other shows we host here on the Four Finger Discount Network, including this, the one about friends, going down to South Park, Four Finger Discount, the movie guys, oh, and let's not forget our Patreon exclusive series, Tales of Futurama. So go ahead and join the Talking Seinfeld family today at patreon.com slash Discount. If you feel like having yourself a time, then check out our new podcast, Going Down to South Park, where we go back and revisit every episode of the iconic series, dissecting the stories, reveling in chef sing-alongs, and chuckling at the occasional fart joke. Going Down to South Park is available now for free on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Alrighty, so the phone message originally aired February 13th in the year 1991. Oh my god, that's, that's three decades ago. Yeah, nearly 30 years. It's literally like three months away from being 30 years ago. It's incredible, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> it kicks off with some stand-up as usual. And Jerry is talking about how when you're watching soda commercials, the people look like they're having a great time. But in reality, you're just sitting on your couch in your undies. Yeah, it's like, if I got too much ice? And I, I did like that riff. I thought that was a pretty good comedy bit. And it's true, though. They always have people just going absolutely crazy. And pe- people just, even when they're having like KFC commercials and things like that, they're always like having a great time and they're smiling and they're laughing. I'm like, I'm just sitting there feeling sorry for myself and eating fucking... Deep fried chicken, you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, KFC's a treat and I enjoy eating it, but I don't think I've ever enjoyed it as much as any family does, you know, when they've got the, uh, you know, the 24-piece bucket. Oh, mum, oh, for real? Oh, and chips. So George and Jerry are at Monk's and Jerry's ex- uh, George is explaining how he doesn't know what to do when women smile at him. That's true, though. Like, when you, you know, go back to when you're a teenager and a girl smiles at you for the first time, you're just like, what are these feelings? I don't know what to do now. Oh, look, I mean, I mean, look, obviously George is a forty-year-old man, but still, <laughs> I don't think it it, it it never ends really, or it, it 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 changes over time. But you know, my standard line about this is: you would a woman would basically have to strip naked before I realised she had a crush on me or had any feelings <laughs> towards me whatsoever. I'm like, you want to go out sometime? What? Like, for do you need a lift somewhere? What are you talking about? You know. That, <laughs> That's that's how I'd view it. <laughs> oh man, I probably just have a terribly low opinion of myself or my own attractiveness to the opposite sex, or the same sex for that matter. I mean, I'm like, really, me? You're, you're 
This? You want some of this? <laughs> they, they flee don't have to worry about that anymore because you've got the lovely Louise. That is correct. Who did not have to strip naked before me before I realised <laughs> that we actually... I picked up on the vibe there. It was good. I did all right. Uh, man, so uh, so he mentions how Lloyd called him a wuss and, and that was just enough. So George said he called up this girl and he just immediately asked her out, just blurted it out and got her over and done with. And it worked. She agreed. And, and Joe's like, what did you do next? I just I got out quick. You know, you don't loiter around after a bank robbery. You just get out. So it's, it's a good technique, I think. If, you're, if you feel like you're going to over-talk or overthink it and just talk your way out of it, just get it over and done with. Just rip the Band-Aid off. Oh, absolutely. George could almost be a bit too casual with his approach. Did he say he was eating an apple while he did it? Was he eating an apple or was he or was he saying he was going to do it next time? I think he was eating an apple because it makes him sound like he's casual. Yeah. Yes, yeah, which... Uh no, no, that's that's a bit too casual. I'm sure you've been on the uh, other end of a phone call where someone's like, Ow! or or whatever. Oh, man, one time, one time, Mitch. For those of you who haven't listened to Four Figure Discount, the previous co-host of Four Figure Discount, one time he tried to do a podcast with Chewy in his mouth, and it was just not happening. Oh, Mitch, don't know about that. <laughs> it was just not good at all. Uh, but they both realised that they're going to be going on a date on the same night. Now we're on the dates, and so George is. He's, he is. He's, he's very witty. He's very. He's, he's, he seems like a fun date talking about owning all the underwear and whatnot. Jerry, on the other hand, I felt was just really obnoxious and kind of awkward when he was doing a trying to do the Scottish and Irish accents. I was like, yeah, I he's thought, not really getting there. I thought the accent bit was cute. In all honesty, uh, uh, see, accents for me just doesn't work. I don't know. But <laughs> when, when it's people trying to do accents who think they're good at the accents, that's what. I don't like. I think he realised that he probably wasn't that good at the accent and he was just sort of doing that thing where you realise you're bad at something and you keep doing it anyway because you you both know that you're just sort of putting your foot in your mouth but the fact that you just keep doing it kind of becomes its own... It's, it's, uh, it's own, a joke in itself. It's, it's almost like stepping on rake after rake after rake after rake. Like I mean, you have to know when to stop. I mean, you can get you can go a little too far with it, but you can't take it that bit too far. It's like okay, now stop being funny. I don't know. Well, you got to play it by ear with each situation, but uh, I thought that was kind of funny and kind of cute. Come on, try it. Let me hear you try a Scottish accent. That's Irish. Irish, Scottish. What's the difference, lassie? <laughs> and this is where George gets invited up for coffee. We should do this again. Would you like to come upstairs for some coffee? Oh, no, thanks. I can't drink coffee late at night. It keeps me up. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, okay. Okay. Good night. Yeah, take it easy. (laughs) Holy shit, that is just pure, it's just brutality, isn't it? That is a fatality in Mortal Kombat. Oh yeah, and just and it's very well played by Mr. Alexander. Just that's that realization. Oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I've noticed is that Jerry, when it comes to dates, I mean, I just I know I just mentioned how he was pretty bad at the accents, but he seems pretty suave, you know, on dates. Seems to sort of be a very uh, you know, cool as a cucumber. Like you know, she uh, Donna asked to go to his place. Like like he, he's a very uh, he's. he's is womanizer the word, or is he just very, very confident? And it does, uh, that alluring factor of him is, attracts women. I think there's confidence, but I think it's also a confidence born out of you can come up or you can't come up. I don't really mind either. Look, if you if you if you come up, great, that'll be nice. If you don't come up, well, you know, I might watch a little TV, have a good night's sleep. It's it's the confidence that comes from 
don't from not caring. <laughs> I think, yeah, I'm, I'm happy either way. And uh, look, that can prove alluring to some people and some people might just go, yeah, don't know about you, in which case, yeah, yeah whatever. So, um, yeah, I think, that, I think that might be Jerry's MO or Jerry's technique. It's just like, yeah, do what you like. You want to come up? Great. If you don't, eh, it's fine by me. And, um, yeah, this, um, this woman seemed to go for it. But the bit that he's doing up there, the whole suicide note sort of riff. I, I wrote yikes. Um, I'm not, I don't know about yikes, but I'm like, I don't know about that on a first date. I mean, that feels like more like, Jerry, are you just, are you doing a dry run for your act? Are you, are you trying out a bit, you know, yeah, on, yeah. The, on this captive audience? <laughs> the thing is, though, that's what Seinfeld tends to do sometimes as a show is because the show is about stand-up, basically, you know? So, sometimes it kind of feels like very unnatural, sort of feels where they're sort of going, yeah, like you said, just testing for their, their next stand-up show, but... I don't know, man. I don't know in any point in my relationship would I ever make jokes about suicide with Nicola. I just don't think it's a, a topic that you have that you're able to find any humour out of. I, I think so. I think Seinfeld's humour is a bit sort of biting. I th- and I know we've sort of talked about the, a bit uh, a bit about this in the past, but I mean, as we said, well, this is a this is a show that's three decades old. Uh, look, suicide's never been a laughing matter, but it was. You know, I don't think it was quite as prevalent as a sort of a social phenomenon uh, back in 1991, as it is, say, in 2020. I think the more offensive thing about this whole thing, who drinks orange juice that late at night? Yeah, it was kind of odd, wasn't it? Jerry's drinking a big glass of OJ. Now, I don't know if it's sort of part of his uh, persona. Either either Jerry, (laughs) on-screen Jerry, or just Jerry Seinfeld in general, that he's not a drinker or anything like that. But... uh, you know, it's like, eh, no, I'm not going to have a, like a nightcap of a little couple of fingers of whiskey or something. I'll have an OJ. And what it was like, but who drinks OJ at like, I'm assuming it's going to be around 10, 30, 11 o'clock. Ugh, no. Is, is OJ an aphrodisiac? <laughs> not in my expectation. Not in my experience. <laughs> and I've tried everything. This is where they have their fight over Cotton Dockers, the, uh, the commercial for it. I did see this as a way of sort of having a little tongue and cheek jab at themselves because Jerry goes, they're talking about nothing. Why is that uh, funny? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, Jerry looks like the kind of guy who'd wear Dockers too. <laughs> yeah, it seems that way. But you watch the uh, the commercial though, and it's just a bunch of obnoxious dudes. I can understand why someone like Jerry wouldn't like it. Yeah, I'm going to check, check it out check because it out. yeah, I think it was a thing in American sort of advertising around that time where yeah, things were a bit kind of you know smarmy and smarter than now and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, Wall Street. Yeah, a bit a bit wise guyish. I mean. This is all sort of pre-Chandler Bing, but I get the feeling that was sort of like the the very the ancestors of Chandler Bing. So now we get some stand-up about scrutiny on dates. And to be completely honest, I was trying to think at work today about the, the last date I went on before I met Nicola, and I just can't remember. Like, I, I don't know whether I did this on dates, whether I scrutinized people, what I was thinking, what I did. I just can't just... It's just gone. Pre-Nicola is just blanked out of my memory. <laughs> um, look, I remember a few that I went on... Um, I, I, I had a stage like maybe uh, five or six years ago where got on RSVP and OKCube and one or two of those and went on a few dates and yeah, look, look, none of them really sort of worked out. I mean, they were all nice women, but, you know, you didn't have that sort of chemistry or spark or anything. <laughs> um, I don't know. They were, they were fine, <laughs> you know, and um, I think I was more sort of taken aback by, oh, my God, cocktails cost this much? <laughs> 
I remember Nicola having a um, uh, martini. What are they called? Like a coffee martini. Espresso martini. Oh, espresso martini, yeah. And it was like $17. And I was like, are you kidding me? I can get a palmy for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the moment that uh, that you won her over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How about I buy you a palmy instead? <laughs> oh, man. And uh, so we, Elaine and Jerry, they're now at uh, Joe's apartment. And he doesn't know whether he wants to go out there anymore because she likes the commercial, which I thought... At first, I watched this thinking, ah, oh, it's a bit much. But then I remember this is Seinfeld and the whole purpose of Seinfeld is pointing out how horrible these people are. Indeed. So, it fits in Seinfeld perfectly. <laughs> I, look, I, I can't recall any instances of my own life. Oh, maybe I can. But it's never one like huge thing that sort of um, prompts you to stop seeing someone or to break up with someone. I think it's more, it can be, it can be a really little thing, but a really little thing that just sort of gets in and niggles and niggles and niggles. I mean... Uh, uh, I used to see someone who would like um, sing along with the radio, you know, when we were in the car or whatever. And I weren't a terrible singer, but I was just like, I, I really wish you'd stop doing that. And I didn't feel confident enough to say, I really wish you'd stop doing that. I've got one better. I used to date a girl who would sing songs that were on the radio, but she would say the words two seconds before the radio said it. She was one of those people who's... It's almost like they're trying to prove, I know the words. It's like, I fucking know you know the words. You're singing the song. Can you just at least sing it in time with the song? God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I can I can buy that... Um, oh, she likes the Dockers commercial, though. I mean, what, is it, what does this tell you about her? She's going to have bad taste in other areas as well. It could, you know, it could result in other things. So, I don't know. <laughs> Elaine, um, Elaine mentions how she's once dumped, once dumped a guy for having a, a messy bathroom. And this is where George walks in and he can't believe it. You know, as he says, people this stupid shouldn't be allowed to live. I love the way you said that. I thought that was such a great line and he delivered it really well. He does self-loathing very well, Jason Alexander, I think. that's when he's at his absolute peak, I feel like. Yeah, when he's he's describing how bad he is at something. Yeah, and I love that he's sort of so bunched up and upset by it. He's got got the Alka-Seltzer tablets that he's putting in water, but he's also carrying like that pink Pepto-Bismol stuff that is supposed to calm an upset stomach. He's just that upset that he's got all manner of you know, stuff to just calm Elses. down his system. <laughs> As he mentions, coffee is sex. You know, he should have gone up. So he's planning, he's planning to call her on Wednesday because he doesn't want to seem too needy. Like, this is the thing, like, like we said at the start, he's so methodical about everything, isn't he? He just overthinks everything. I can't call him Monday. It's got to go oh, yeah, two, yeah. three days and I thought she'll think I'm too needy and all this other stuff. But he's, um, he's just convinced that she, uh, that she doesn't like him. <laughs> What's the Jerry saying him here? I don't know what your parents did to you. <laughs> <laughs> Kramer offers some stand-up material and Jerry's just not accepting it at all, is he? I think it's a thing though. I, I always find it, is it offensive to offer a stand-up comedian material? I think it would be like if you were a doctor and you went to a party and you know you had at least four people come up to you during the course of that party and saying, I got the slight pain in my side. Do you, I mean, I'm, I, I don't need a full diagnosis, but do you think it might be this? I, I think it'd be more a case of them offering medical advice to the doctor, though. Oh, yeah, maybe. Because cause this is Kramer saying to Jerry, here, I've got some stuff you can use for your stand-up. Whereas it's not like Kramer's walking up and saying, hey, can you give me some free stand-up, some free comedy? He's gone up there and trying to do Jerry's job for him. Uh, it, but it's, I think it's in the same ballpark, though. It's like people sort of encroaching on your on your space. 
On your profession, yeah, outside yeah, of your I mean, profession. As opposed to just sort of asking interesting, que- interested or interesting questions about your line of work. It's like, I mean, it's like being a creative person like like yourself. I mean, I'm sure you've had people say, oh, I've got an idea for a podcast. Oh, wh- what do you think of this? Or, I mean, I've had as a writer people saying, oh, you know, I've always wanted to write a book. And I'm like, yeah, fucking hell, so have I. And, I'm, and I actually <laughs> did this for a living for a while. So, <laughs> Also, we should just say, we should just point out, Kramer's material was not good. No, it wasn't good at all. But as, <laughs> as he said to Jerry, it's as good as anything you've done, which I can't agree, Kramer. I'm sorry. But um, but George <laughs> kicks them all out because he wants to make the phone call right then and there. Asks for an apple. Jerry says no. Just go and make the phone call. And he makes the call. And this was almost as much or if not more brutal than the date. Hi, it's Carol. I'll get back to you. Um, Hi, it's uh, George. George Costanza. Remember me? <laughs> The guy didn't come up for coffee. <laughs> you see, I, I didn't realize that coffee didn't really mean... Well, whatever. <laughs> anyway, it was fun. It was, um... It was fun, so... <laughs> um, so, you call me back. If you want. That's up to you, you know. Whatever you want to do. Either way, the ball's in your court. <laughs> so, uh, take it easy. I'm just going to get my jacket. I'll meet you downstairs. What's the matter? Did you call? Got a machine. I'm dead. I'm a dead man. That's it. I'm dead. I'm a dead man. Dead man. What did you say? I don't know what the hell I said. I gave her an ultimatum and there's nothing I can do. It's a machine. The little light is blinking right now. Come and listen to the idiot. Hey, everybody, the idiot's on. Oh, giving her the ultimatum. And uh, it's just one of those things where it's, he's trying to play cool, but he's the opposite of cool. Absolutely. You've got to, like the great Clint Eastwood once said, a man's got to know his limitations. Know your skill set. Know what you're working with. If you are a... T- a <laughs> I don't know how this episode turned into dating advice from Guy and Dando, but that's what it is. If you come across as a slightly nervous person or self-deprecating or whatever, steer into that. Use it, but have a sense of humour about it or whatever. Uh, look, I acknowledge that I'm kind of... I might be a bit of a nervous person or a bit of a jumpy person or whatever. Look, I hope it's not a complete deal-breaker for you, but eh, kind of the way I am. If you want to hang out with me, this is kind of what you're going to get. It's more honest than, you know, sort of putting on your game face. And I mean, yeah, I think you do have to put on your game face for the, at least the first couple of dates. But eventually you can sort of let it slip a little bit and reveal more of the true you. That's true. <laughs> totally Dr. Phil. <laughs> <laughs> the true you. Stay tuned. <laughs> I'm feeling very much like... <laughs> I'm feeling a bit like Troy McClure. The true you. It's like that, it's like that Sideshow, Sideshow Bob show. And now we bring you back to choices. <laughs> so Elaine mentions here about swapping the tapes. And this is what sets up the main plot of the episode. Donna is now at Jerry's. Mentions how he's never seen I Love Lucy. George mentions the uh, the commercial about all how... So basically, George puts his foot in his mouth and fucks it up for Jerry because... Mm. She wasn't aware that Jerry had gone and told all his friends about the fact that she didn't like the commercial. George brings it up. Oh, you're the one that doesn't like the commercial. And this is where she confronts Jerry and it all just blows up, doesn't it? <laughs> it's dreadful. It's such a bad situation. that <laughs> George sort of, say, you know, when uh, when he's got, you know, a moment with Jerry, why are you trying to get me in trouble? 
It's just, yeah, sometimes George just doesn't, well, not sometimes, a lot of the time he just doesn't think before he speaks and he just blurted it out there, didn't realize he was going to be uh, making her upset. Even Kramer does the same thing, you know, points at her, gut and duckers. <laughs> and how Seinfeld was it, how Kramer was it when he quoted the commercial? I was like, oh, yeah. that is what I remember Seinfeld being like, little oh, things yeah. like that. Of course, and, an- and another thing that Seinfeld is very much like, this outfit that Jerry's wearing, that shirt buttoned up to the neck as well. <laughs> That's mm, so 1991. Yes. I think I was probably rocking that at some stage. Jerry makes fun of her friends and everything and she just she storms out. She's had enough. Now, they do something here and Seinfeld very rarely do this and it's one of the most cliche traits of a sitcom that never ceases to bother me. So, that scene in Joe's apartment ends with George saying, you won't believe what's been going on with this woman. And then it fades to them at Monk's and him talking about what he just said. So, what did they just decide... End conversation there, hop in the car, go to Monk's and continue oh, conversation. I can see why that would rub you the wrong way. It, 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 yeah, it rubs me the wrong way as well, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's for, for a show that's normally sort of so sort of seamless with its storytelling and how it does things like that, it's like, yeah, for it to stick out like dog's balls like that, that's kind of annoying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just very surprised that, um, that it happened on Seinfeld. But anyway, so now, we're now at Monk's and... George mentions how he left her all these angry messages and, you know, he, he's, basically he was like proud of himself at first. You know, I was telling her what for, you know, she's ignoring me. Here, have this. And then he reveals that she's been in the Hamptons since Sunday <laughs> and she's using a different machine. So, she hasn't read the message or hasn't heard the messages yet. And this is where I went, oh, this is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. What happens here? <laughs> how good was that? The, just the visual comedy of Jerry saying, what are you going to do? And Jason just sliding that tape out of his jacket. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Just, yeah. This, the, from here on in, I thought the episode was just so, so funny. So, they, they, now they're going to plan, um, or, you know, plot it all out, what they're going to do. So, George says he's going to have to get into her apartment, swap the tapes. But how's he going to do it? Um, he's going to need Jerry's help. And Jerry's like, I, I, I can't do that. And this is where, I think this is where he, call, he calls Jerry the wussy, doesn't he? <laughs> he does. It's the trump card. <laughs> yes, it is. But before then, it, he tries the... I think I may be in love with this woman. <laughs> and that doesn't work. So, he pulls out, like you said, last stop, the wuss. And that's what gets uh, Jerry to be involved to help him do it. So, basically, they have to get into the apartment, get her to the bathroom or whatever, and Jerry's going to have to stop the tapes. So, then George and Jerry are waiting at the front of her apartment. Jerry's very concerned that she'll notice. So, we get the discussion about the signal. I got one problem. You're keeping her busy in the other room. Now, what if she somehow gets away from you and is coming in? You have to signal me that she's coming. A signal, right. Um, okay, uh, okay, the signal is I'll call out tippy toe. <laughs> tippy toe? I don't think so. You don't like tippy toe? No tippy toe. All right, uh, okay, I got it. Um, I'll sing. What song? Um, how do you solve a problem like Maria? <laughs> What is that? Oh, it's a lovely song. How do you solve a problem like me? Got anything else? You pick it. Lemon tree. Peter Paul and Mary. Oh, Trini Lopez. Lemon tree, very pretty, and a lemon flower is sweet. That was just like, again, on paper, not funny. But it was just two dudes having a, a, what felt like a real conversation. Oh, and it was yeah. just hilarious. There was no real punchline there. It was just, but it was just funny to watch. There's a lot of good stuff in there. I mean, first of all, tippy toe is just the worst code word. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> I can't remember the last time I said tippy toe or even tiptoes in just actual life. On your tippy toes, yeah. 
No, I cannot recall. Um, I also like, I mean, <laughs> I think it speaks volumes about Jerry that he's very prepared. He's carrying both standard and micro tapes just in case yes. he's not sure about the nature of her answering <laughs> machine. Yeah. He's got all that. He's committed to the to the scheme. <laughs> I, I actually was like, I got a lot of admiration for that. It's like, yeah, imagine if you'd rocked up with the wrong tape. I mean, your whole plan would have been shot. So, you know, it's, it's good thinking on his part. Good looking out. If you're going to pull off a heist, you're going to have all you know all things covered. You know he would he would fit quite a, he would fit in nicely with Ocean's Eleven. Jerry Seinfeld, I think he certainly would. Yeah, a, a, a comedian's. I, I could see like a, a Ocean's Eleven or Reservoir Dogs kind of like slow motion scene with George, Jerry, Newman, Kramer. I thought it would have been, it would have been <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> so she arrives and immediately call it off. I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she says, um, you know, I'm ready to go. Let's go now. Let's go out for some dinner. And this is where the plan... This is one thing they didn't try to th- to cover, did they? They're like, no. oh shit, now what do we do? <laughs> I just love it when you can see it just crumbling in front of your eyes and you've just got to... Yeah. You've got to improvise. You've got to think on the fly to uh, yeah, get them upstairs one way or another. Oh, it's so good. The acting from Jason, though, when he's just like, come here, come here, come here. You know, it's like the little facial expressions. You know, this thing, I know Jerry, he has a phobia. <laughs> and she buys it, takes him upstairs um, so she can check the machine. You go, oh, what's going to happen here? So they get in there. I thought Jerry was great here where he's just like, you know what? It's gone. It went away. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you'd buy that from Jerry as well. He kind of looks like the kind of person who would be very odd man. specific about their bathroom habits. I completely agree. You look at it, it's like, yeah. It's, it's like it, it really, really does. I don't need it anymore. Yeah, well, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> George takes her into the other room. Um, he has to tell us something in private so that Jerry can do the swap. Um, you know, it's the damnedest thing. It went away. Well, that's weird. Uh, no, no, that can happen. I've, uh, I've read about that in medical journals. <laughs> it's a freak thing. <laughs> Well, let me just check my messages and we'll go. Uh, Carol, can I talk to you for a second right now? Sure. <laughs> Please, this is, this is very important. I thought, you know what was perfect about this? He screams tippy-toe, tippy-toe, then realizes that they've changed the plan, then screams lemon tree. I thought that was just so well written and acted. Yes, like, oh, marvelous. shit, no, lemon tree, lemon tree. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think George could have yelled anything at that point and Jerry would have got the hint, though. The whole thing where he's saying how rude it is, though, it's like, mm, that, you got to be careful how you do that. Such a, I mean, given that these... Uh, Oh, given that uh, this couple is in very early stages of their courtship, to be saying, oh, that's so rude what you just did. Like, well, I don't know, dude. <laughs> yeah, she, 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 she seems a little too gullible, this character. But I mean, yeah, it's still, it, 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 it was fine. But what would, do, can you imagine yourself in this situation? Like, I would be panicking if I was in Jerry's position. I think I'd just have to, it'd have to be the nuclear option. I think I'd just have to say, Oh, look, it probably could have been a wonderful relationship with this person, but I think I'm just going to have to walk away from the whole thing. <laughs> I'd have to move, if not cities, then countries, and just you yeah. know, st- start a whole new life somewhere else. Actually, you know, when I think about it, the character of Jerry, I don't think gives a shit either way. He's like, I'll do it, but if it goes to shit, it's not going to affect my life. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's just like, I mean, if you can get out of the room, I'll do it, but if it <laughs> fucks up, then so be it. <laughs> But she comes back. It's Joe, uh, Joe does a swap. She goes to check her messages. All gone. 
And then she reveals that they didn't have to do it all along because she thought that George was just joking anyway. Which which is great. It's a great it's a great caper on the episode. Just before that, however, I just really love that um, the father sneakers. The, the whole yeah, that's what you have to tell me. Your father wears sneakers in the pool. It's like I could just it's it's something George would actually say. It was like what can I, what can I think of that would you know <laughs> what's a shameful secret? Uh, needs um. Justification from Jerry. It, it, it's, it's, that's weird, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> but uh, yes, yeah, so as she says, you know, I thought it was hilarious. My neighbor played the messages to me and they all walk out uh, happy, I guess. And Jerry would have been annoyed because he had to go through all this for nothing. But still, it was a very, very nice way to end the episode. And we get some stand up with uh, Jerry saying how he wishes he was a phone machine so that he could uh, just end the conversation there and say, I'm, I'm busy right now. I can't talk to you. And we, it's sort of very dated stand-up because he talks about cordless phones like they're a, a novelty and things like oh, that. Yeah. But, you know, it is 1991 after all. But yes, I think because this episode ended on such a high note for me, I put it right up top of one of my favorites we've reviewed so far. But the first act and a half, I guess, is kind of slow. But yeah, that, that last scene, that last game with uh, George and Jerry, I just thought was so fun. Well, if you end on a high note, you you tend to forgive any sort of uh, any errors or missteps that have led up to it. Next week, we're going to be reviewing an episode called The Apartment, in which Jerry scores the apartment above his for Elaine and immediately regrets it. So uh, looking forward to that one as well. I always remember enjoying that one. But for now, Mr. Davis, any final words for the listeners? Tippy-toe! Tippy-toe! Lemon tree! <laughs>